Hello, welcome to Allegedly Bravo. I'm your host, Lauren Peavy House, and today I'm kicking off a new series that I will be calling In Conversation With. And in this series, I will be sitting down with a bunch of people, like different types of people from all different walks of life that I think can bring a very cool, unique perspective to some of these Bravo shows, Bravo personalities, and Bravo conundrums that we love to follow. So to kick off this series, I'm sitting down with Tom Gregory, who is just like an old Hollywood aficionado who's lived the lives of these women pretty much. I mean, he's friends or was friends with Kathy Hilton. He was at Kyle Richards' white party. You'll get to hear how he almost ran over Fred Astaire. Oh, my God. Um, Just really fun, different perspectives that us listeners can really take in and maybe it'll show us a different perspective of of the housewives. So I really hope you enjoy it. And here is my interview with Tom Gregory. He charged me with resisting arrest. Get that confidence in jail. I object. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Allegedly Bravo. I'm here with Tom Gregory, who is the... Hollywood memorabilia expert, wow. knowledge extraordinaire, the the <laughs> man of New York City. Well, that's true. It's very true. The you want to know somebody? No, Tom. Okay, so that's where we're at. He's got this. I want to just set the scene where we're sitting. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm, I'm doing really well. How are you, Lauren? I'm doing great. Good. So we're sitting in your beautiful, beautiful, beautiful apartment. Thank you. Um, out in the Upper East Side, I believe. Uptown is that what you said? No, I'm I'm in Midtown. Midtown. I'm, I'm on Fifty Fourth Street. You're on Fifty Fourth Street right now, between Fifth and Sixth. I live directly across the street from the MoMA Museum of Modern Art on Fifty Four in a very well-known building. It's called the Rockefeller Building. It was built around 1937. Wow. And um, it, it, it's just we're a parallel line. In fact, you can see Rockefeller Center out my, out my doors here. And uh, it was allegedly, well, it wasn't allegedly, but John D. Rockefeller, this was his, his sort of in-town place while he was working on Rockefeller Center and building up the whole, the whole area. And this particular apartment is still pretty original because it's actually the apartment I've been told allegedly, allegedly, um, but by more than one source that um, this was John D. Rockefeller's actual apartment where he would stay. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, maybe to further back that up, it's always been preserved and it's pretty original to what it originally was. You know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the fixtures, doors, uh, doorknobs, uh, some of the decorations, the old. Art Deco doors and whatnot are original to, to the original building because it was indeed his and it meant to be preserved. In fact, next door, if you were to walk out on my terrace and go on that end of the terrace there on the on the east end and look down, you look down at 17, at, uh, I'm sorry, number 1554. And that was actually on the top floor of that building was where nice Nelson Rockefeller um, died while he was making love to a prostitute. The vice wow. president of Nelson yeah, he died, right? That's kind of iconic. I could, I could spit on the on the roof of the building he died in. But, but uh, so it was a very Rockefeller area. 
Yeah. And this is a very Rockefeller apartment. And it's a lovely building. I'm very lucky to be here because it's hard looking for an apartment in New York because, I mean, in L.A. or in any other major city, you can drive by a place and get a feel mm-hmm. for the neighborhood. But in New York, every building is its own neighborhood. You don't really know until you're in there, you know. Right. And you really can't ascertain what a, what a place really looks like on the outside um, just by walking by here. Right. Because looks are deceiving. Looks mm-hmm. are deceiving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I love it here. So you're on 54, right across from the MoMA. Right across from the MoMA. That's and right. something really cool about this this building that we're in is even though across the street we can see buildings that are taller than us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. directly across the street we can't. Right, like so, we're so in a bubble-ish. We're in a what, really what I call a protected view. I, I mm-hmm. look right on the MoMA, which is uh, much lower than me. And then I look up. It's, I love this view I have from my terrace. I have a southeastern view. So you get a lot of sun, early morning light, uh, late sunlight. If I hang my head over, I can see the river on each side of me, you know, the, the Hudson and the east. And uh, it's a very open view. It's a very dimensional view, I call it, because you see several buildings of several different architectural styles right at your feet, you know, and I think it's really capped by this church, St. Thomas mm-hmm. Episcopal Church on 53rd and 5th, which sounds the most lovely chimes every quarter hour. Oh, wow. Fact, maybe we'll be lucky and hear maybe, some. The thing is, you know what, it's funny, because when I moved into the building, there was this dread that we had to, free, we had to replace these 80-year-old windows mm-hmm. that were all rusted out and whatnot. Mm-hmm. The thing about 80-year-old windows is they leak a lot. So oh that's kind of nice because this building can get very warm and mm-hmm. steam heat. But also, they leak sound. So I would lay in my bed. I'm, I bought this place in April. And then I, I, I rented a place up in Maine. Um, and I stayed up there while uh, I was cleaning this place, having this place cleaned up. New floor. You know, mm-hmm. just... just I Spruce it up. Just, well, I didn't replace anything. I just right. cleaned it up. I did put a new floor, but I just copied the original parquet floor. Anyway, I was living up in Maine, and I was living in this lovely little town called Blue Hill, Maine, which I highly recommend if anybody wants to go to a beautiful little place, especially in September. It's gorgeous. Anyway, I was living there and uh, for the summer and buying lobster for three ninety nine a pound. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, it was great. And every day, uh, the hour and a half, the church would peel its its bells mm-hmm. so i really got used to it and i loved it mm-hmm. I, got, I got used to it very fast so i'm living in new york i moved into my apartment i left the, the rental to move in here and i'm here the first night and i wake up yeah you know, mind you this is with the leaky windows where i could still hear sound and i hear these chimes and i thought my god i'm still in maine what uh. is that beautiful sound and here's this beautiful church, and it's the most beautiful church in New York that few people know of. It's on 53rd and 5th, again, at St. Thomas Episcopal's Church. And it's bells peel every quarter hour. And on Sunday and holidays and during, I guess it's the Eucharist or something, around just around noon. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not Catholic. I don't know. But just after noon, they just play a Bach piece every day. Wow. It's just like, this is the greatest place to live, you know, yeah. and because you're in the middle of New York and it's, everything is within blocks uh, or within blocks, within feet, really. Feet, I mean, there's yeah. an overpriced, you know, pretty bad grocery store near me, but <laughs> if I wanted to walk, there's a Whole Foods and stuff and Central Park is closed. And I have a terrace where I let my little dog go tinkle and there's a hose and a drain and he doesn't, 
It's very convenient because it tinkles on the terrace. I hose it off, and everybody <laughs> smiles at everybody, and I don't have to walk them. No, and you know what? At least you hose it off down on the bottom floor yeah, where everyone's walking. Well, that's right. no, there's duty it. and well, pee everywhere. <laughs> one rule in my apartment is uh, you got to take your shoes off. Mm. it's disgusting absolutely when i first moved in here i don't know what i was thinking but i didn't and the rug was dirty and it was making my rug carpet it was disgusting it's disgusting to think i even did that for one time let alone (laughs) any six months i lived here but new york is an adjustment i love it here Mm -hmm. i lived famously for many years in los angeles and then i had a place in new york and i also had uh, digs out in southampton which is another story um, and, and then I met a friend of mine that I called Joey and Joey and I introduced him to, uh, um, the Hamptons and he loved it. And he, he now, we bought a house out there together and he now lives out there happily and we're, we're Joey and I are apart, but I love the city. Um, I know he, he has a place in the city and I mean, uh, a lot of, people like living in the city and having a place out in Southampton. I'm happy to say I've left LA and now I have a beautiful place in the Hamptons. So I'm very, very lucky. So on Bravo, on the show, channel that I'm obsessed with, there's a show called Summer oh, House. I'm Summer House is still filmed in the Hamptons. Yeah. yeah. You know, people always ask, I've been going out there, I'm an actor to some uh, small renown. I'm a big... I'm a big fish. I'm a medium fish in a, a medium-sized pond. That's what I like to say. <laughs> uh, and, but I've been doing plays out there for, this marks my ninth, 29th year. And um, people always say, oh, it's so glamorous. You see lots of stars. No, no, I never really. I saw Mel Brooks in the hardware store once. I mean, in L.A., I used to see a lot of people. But when I moved to L.A. in 1984, I was I was starstruck by people like Astaire and, you know, that, yeah. that whole genre of people that I encourage people to rediscover because the films are just great. If you go to Turner Classic Movies or now online, there's so many places where you can see great films, even though they're in black and white. They really, they really distill the American story down to... Um, a sharp telling of it, no matter what it is. If you look at a film like it's a Wizard of Oz or it's a Wonderful Life, it it, it has a you know a real a real point to it, and they quickly quickly get to that point and tell it in a really creative way. And that's why I like a lot of old films. Mm-hmm. So when I moved out to Southampton, Mel Brooks was kind of an old guy to me at that point. And then um, about the only other person I really. I really used to run into there a lot, and it was only we only had a casual relationship. But um, was I see Kathy Hilton out there? Yes. Yeah, and a lovely woman. Um, I see her at a restaurant, my favorite restaurant, a very demure. I would never make the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, or even the Real Housewives of of Bedford Stuyvesant or <laughs> whatever neighborhood you want to choose, you know, uh, even Darien, Connecticut. It just, well, Darien, Connecticut's a hoity-toity little place. Um, actually, Bedford Stuy would be interesting. It would make the Real Housewives of Beverly Stuy, about uh, Bedford Stuyvesant. Anyway, um, but uh, it was a lovely restaurant, um, German restaurant, and I used to see her out there with her, her two boys and her, and Rick and her, and, uh, gosh, I mean, those, I would say those were the days because mm-hmm. 
if I say those were the days, for me, what makes those days the days, mm-hmm. and maybe these days not in contention, is I used to be so busy there socially, you know, and that's I think why why you might want to talk to me because. Um, living in Los Angeles, uh, Beverly Hills, I lived in Homeby Hills, uh, I used to see the Hiltons all the time when Paris was at, at her foray, um, because the old, uh, my pen doesn't work, and I need to fill out a pen. If I don't have a pen, I don't have a pen to work, you know. We're all gonna lose it! Yeah, I'll be like one, I'll be like Lisa Renner. <laughs> there, <laughs> oh my god, he runs around out of ink, he's impossible! <laughs> So anyway, um, I have a question about Kathy Hilton. When she lived around here, she lived at the Waldorf Astoria, right? Didn't they live at when? I think when they lived in the city, they had a place at the Waldorf. Probably, and I hope uh, uh, if they did, they may have had a place somewhere else, and we don't know it because they probably you know wanted to be left alone. But I don't think then they were so well known. I mean, her her foray on the Real Housewives has really elevated fame and their family to a new level, mm-hmm. even beyond the Paris thing. That was really uh, uh, that was that was a weird moment in the history of America. Mm-hmm. I always look at back at I always look at back at things like. Paris Hilton and the fact that people talked about it. I mean, I was living in L.A. and L.A. they do talk about things that I really, the rest of the world doesn't deem that 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 interesting. And I probably have. I, I suppose in Paris television they weren't talking about Paris Hilton as much right. as we were in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. But I always look at what a lovely country and time and place that was or any places where we can focus on such a inane thing that really doesn't affect any of us. And I, right. that's how I looked at Paris Hill. And like, much like the death of Michael Jackson, how interesting that the world stops for someone's death mm-hmm. like that, when really people are dying. You know? At every moment. Yeah, yeah, not getting reported. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, yeah, I mean, Paris Hill, it was during those days. It was post-Paris Hilton that I used to see, I used to see Kathy around, a lovely woman. I've spoken to her like twice on like Instagram, which is not real life, obviously. And she's always been so kind. Well, her actions speak louder than words. I'll yeah. say that about her. She's charitable. She's very charitable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was nice. Listen, she spoke to me. I mean, I used to see her at charity events. And this is one thing that the Real Housewives franchise doesn't really get right. Mm-hmm. And I understand why. Because charity events are, it's a different Ilk. It's a different layer. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and you're talking about glamour. You're talking about branding. You're talking about selling a product. Mm-hmm. I, I really see it as that. Mm-hmm. You know, I really see it as a as a soap opera with a product placement all over. All it. over it. Agree. You know, and um, in real life, you know, I don't go. Uh, I don't go to an event. I mean, and I don't. I don't want to make it sound like I'm still as active as I used to be because I'm not. Um, but I don't, if I don't really go to an event where somebody's put a microphone in my face and say, what are you wearing? You mm-hmm. know, that's, that's not real life. Right. It's just like the Beverly Hills housewives are, or any housewives franchise is not really real life because they get the microphone in their face. And once the microphone is in your face, you become, you know, 0.10% of everything. And everything you say is skewed and mm-hmm. carries more meaning. So you have to be careful about everything you say. Um, and 
I I was on my enough on the inside that um, I knew these. I didn't know to say no though. You know, how much do you know a person? Because they only let you see as much of them as they're willing to show. Right. So, but I knew I knew many of these people. You know, as 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 peers. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, in your social circle. Because, yeah, in my mm-hmm. social circle, certainly, and I think probably, and I, I don't mean to two corners, but I think probably we were the wealthiest in the whole, whole room many mm-hmm. times. Um, and from that I learned, from because I was a man of, you know, always a smart fella, but I was never thrown into super... Having a lot of resources available to me until I met uh, really J- Joey, and Joey got for- lucky, and he loved again a lovely, lovely person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was because of being with him and his knowledge and his his, his passion to do good that um, I found myself thrown into parties and events and around people, you know, who who would. Uh, be intimidating to most people, but they always gave me the benefit of the doubt. I remember, I remember, I used to love, and I, I if I had events to go to, I still would. I loved wearing costume jewelry, and I used to oh. wear these great brooches. I became well known for wearing these brooches to events and stuff like that. And um, I remember uh, I would got, get great costume vintage stuff. And then one year, um, I got, uh, I went to a celebrity auction and I bought a couple um, phony artificial diamond brooches. They were just stunning. And I remember I wore them to events over the ensuing year. And uh, people would, I would say, oh, no, no. I'd say, this is just, this is just artificial. This, this isn't a real diamond. Oh, yeah, sure, it's not. Mm-hmm. And I became on that side of the spectrum mm-hmm. where people didn't doubt that I was trying to act rich. They doubted that I was. Trying to act like it was fake. Like it was yeah, a like faux I would, I would diamond. I would be embarrassed that I would spend that much money, which quite frankly I would be. Yeah. Because I never really cared. The, the more I had and the older I got, the less that that stuff really meant to me and continues to mean to me, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I, I always tell people in my dream life, I would just get rid of everything and just, you know, just make it money in the bank, I guess, and just be able to drive off into the sunset with a small suitcase, you know, yeah. and, and find my joy. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of this stuff, like Real Housewives and stuff, it's funny, it's entertaining, but I think we have to be careful about um, what it teaches the young people, and I know this has been said before about materialism and that sort of thing, because we're really, it's really up to the viewer. Uh, There's been many, many shows, I think, that deal with the same universal aspects of the Real Housewives, and when I was a kid, I just, kids are weird, you know, I had this... uh, Am I talking too much? Absolutely. This is a podcast. We're going to need you to stop talking. Oh, I know a show. When I was a kid, I used to watch a show called The, uh, the Donna Reed Show, which was mm-hmm. about a housewife. Okay. In the 50s and 60s. And I remember there was really one episode where it was really surreal. I mean, listen, these old things aren't dated. You just have to look at them through different eyes. Mm-hmm. And there was this really weird show. It's like, you have to get high on acid to watch it. <laughs> An episode of Donna Reed where she turns on the vacuum and it says housewife housewife everything she says she hears the word housewife oh because 
she'd been interviewed as a person on the street in the grocery store at the opening of the show, and they said, what do you do, you know, Miss Stone? Because she played a woman named Donna Stone, Donna Reed. Donna Reed had won an Oscar for From Here to Eternity, one of our actors. Here to Eternity, I have to slow down, I have so much to say. No one's ever interviewed <laughs> me before. So um, Donna Reed uh, was in For Here to Eternity, and she, this episode, she's being interviewed as a person on the street, and then she said, well, my husband's a doctor, but I'm just a housewife. And then the whole, the whole, the rest of the show is predicated on the fact that she called herself just a housewife. Just a housewife. And the importance of a housewife. At one point, she turns on the vacuum cleaner and it goes, housewife, oh housewife, housewife. And I go, oh my God. Was it like so haunting real. her? It was haunting her. Oh yeah. She was Valium, you know? Yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, really honestly, every time I see it, I just need to drink. So, um, <laughs> But her husband was very sexy. And her kids were perfect, and her kids are still alive. They're act, they, either the actors are. Um, but that was a show about the American housewife as we perceived her in the 50s. And I think the real housewife really throws a lot of stuff against the wall because it's not really about the American housewife. Right. What it's really is about is, is a is a fortunate woman mm -hmm. who's focused around women who use their mind to uh, make them as happy as they want to be and experience in life as fool as they want to be. And right. I think part of, maybe the main part of living their lives fully is having a television show where they, right. where they can be somebody that maybe they really even aren't. Right. That's one thing that I do, like, because I was talking to you before we sat down, and I was telling you how I went to the Jen Shaw hearing and for her sentencing. And in her sentencing, she stood up and she said, it's all scripted, and right. they it can manipulate scripted. anything, right, and they can do this. It's nothing is real. It's a television show. Right. It's a soap opera. It's a soap opera. It has, and that's, all, the, it has all the earmarks of a soap opera. It has continuity, mm -hmm. carries over from one storyline to the other, has ongoing characters, has melodrama. Mm -hmm. It's just a classic soap opera. And do you think, like, with that being how it is today but, versus the show with the woman, like, the uh, the housewife, the one uh -huh, that's being uh -huh. haunted by the noise? like We know that's not real. Right. But the comparison of, like, the comparison of the American housewife, like, at that point in time, we were watching that woman. Well, I I can tell you, because mm -hmm. as a child, my mother was not that woman. You right. Know? By the time I was 12 and probably leading up to it, I was the youngest of three boys and I was picked on. I did not have a happy childhood right. like her children did, right. you know, on the show. So, but what it did is it, it gave me an idea of what an ideal, mm -hmm. you know, and that became my ideal. And I, this is, I was a weird kid, you know. <laughs> I used to tell the milkman, we had milkman back then, he'd come to your door, I grew up in Camden, New Jersey, um, that Donna Reed was my real mother, <laughs> you know. Oh, my so, God. Because I was embarrassed that my mother really, I mean, it's my mother, I don't remember, but I, I'm a, like, super OCD person, going mm -hmm. back to making you take your shoes off and stuff. <laughs> Although that's not super OCD. That's, no, that's I took those off before you even opened the Most door. Know you do that. <laughs> um I I really um, I really uh, wanted my mother to be like, but she wasn't mm -hmm. like that. So I became like that. So yeah. at like ten years old, once I learned to use the vacuum, baby, I did it. You know, yeah. Because I was really, I mean, I didn't like dirt. You know, oh, dirt yeah. Was my thing. So, but that's how that affected me. 
Mm-hmm. She didn't wear fancy clothes. Right. So if you take the corollary about now the real housewives, how does that affect young children? Right. Listen, it made me pick up the vacuum. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the worst thing in the world. Um, I, I, I fear that, um, that, listen, I got to say, because it's just the first word that comes in my mind, like black, white, red, green. You know, real housewives is materialism. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's every show you're watching people with all all brand new outfits, labels from head to toe. And, and when they leave um, the show, it's usually because somebody's finally stepped on their ego and they're mm-hmm. not the big fish anymore. Right. That's the most reality thing about it. Really, if you look at almost like what the show causes to be reality is what it is. It's not really about they're fighting over what this one said about this one. They're always fighting about their place on the show. Right. You know, which I find interesting. It's Mm -hmm. not whether or not, you know, your husband looked at me. I mean, it could be, but it's still, I mean, you hear that, that's not true. Right. And in my experience with them, I was on, uh, I guess it was a well-known show about the white party. I think it was the first one at maybe at Kyle's house. And Kyle Richards' white party. I, I knew Kyle uh, not incredibly well, but I did know a dear friend of hers who remained nameless very well and who was up for the show but couldn't do it for a very logical reason. Mm-hmm. Mystery, mystery, forever, never to be answered. Never to be answered. But um, just by choice. It was her choice. Mm-hmm. And although I gave you that face, I got yeah, really it's her choice. It's interesting story why she wasn't on this show, but I can't tell it. Yeah. So anyway, um, lovely woman, and she was a dear friend of mine, and through her I met Kyle and, and these other women, and and, and uh, Kyle was lovely. Her and her husband, uh, what's his name? Mauricio. Mauricio, the turn, uh, the uh, real estate guy. Mm-hmm. Fantastically good-looking man, and yeah. very smart, and. Uh, and uh, she's lovely, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew her daughter, her sister, Kim. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember how I knew Kim, but I met her before at mm-hmm. point. But see, the thing is, this is what you have to understand. The social center of Los Angeles like that, and again, I'm going back 10 years ago, and it's the same though now. Um, it's about... I want to say it's about who you are, and if you are the right person, then you then you get access. And I guess at that point in my life, I was. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing is, would I still be? That's kind of an interesting question. But um, you 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 see these people all the time, and you see people like them all the time because they're not that different than the lady who lives next door to you or across the street mm-hmm. or their son or this one we're all just fighting for i wouldn't even say uh, i want i don't want to say position i want to say for legacy people mm-hmm. want to be remembered for a reason and some people just want to be remembered and i think that uh, i know certainly in my position um the person i was with and and myself of course want to remember more for what we did and, and what we represented rather than what we what what people who didn't know who we really were um, were aspiring to us to be. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, because there's not any real, I mean, I'm sorry, Real Housewives Land, but there's really nothing real about that show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I guess Lisa Rennequip recently. And, yeah. And, and she, 
I guess the most real thing about it is how it really you you can you can see how these people are going to fall because um, they seem to become unstable. Mm-hmm. Totally unstable. I, I hadn't seen Lisa Rennett in real life in a long time, and then I turned her on the show, and I said to a, a dear friend of mine, mm-hmm. I said, Lisa, Lisa, I said, I swear to you, I said, is that who? Is, who Where's the, is that somebody, they get rid of Lisa, where's Lisa Renner? Oh, that is Lisa Renner. I said, that's Lisa Renner? This yeah. is recently. This is in the summer. I said, yeah. And that, I, that is distressing as hell. It's really weird to see, why? Because her whole face is different, right? That's right. Yeah. I, I find that to be very interesting and something that I, I haven't ever really been able to connect with mentally mm-hmm. is changing your face to that degree like in it does make me think of like how we talked about how this show is like the things you're quote-unquote aspiring for and it's like Mm -hmm. it's it's moved past at some point we moved past like we're aspiring to be like when you looked up to that other housewife like the housewife who's like cleaning and has a beautiful family and raises her kids and then we moved to these housewives that are oh we want to have their things and their stuff and these beautiful bags and everybody wants red red soles on their shoes everybody wants red soles and then you look at lisa and you're like i want those lips and so then you go blow up your lips and like so it's a sickness you know why because it wastes a lot of times and you can never be pretty enough yeah for your own prettiness right you know, I've been lucky my whole life. I was an ugly kid, but I'm 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 pretty happy with the way I'm aging at this point in my life. <laughs> so thank God I don't have to worry too much about. You're a silver fox. But I just, I just, I don't know. That Lisa Renner, she really threw me. And I shouldn't talk about people I don't know anything about. Uh, but but she presents herself publicly. She totally does. You know, and I'm only judging her by what I see. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's good makeup or bad makeup. But I was next to her husband recently on an airplane. He was on a phone call, and he was clearly he was over the whole thing. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. and I could, I could, no, I knew he was talking about her because he referred to it. And he said some, he made some reference that was basically saying, "I don't understand why these people will watch the show." Oh, mm-hmm. I hate to say that. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the, the, the negative Nelly here, mm-hmm. but and but when I think of her husband, do you know what I think about? Uh, Mad Men. That's what I think about. No, go further back. L.A. Law? Further back. 1982, he was in a movie called Making Love. Oh. With um, us, with Kate Jackson, one of the Charlie's Angels, and a, an actor named Michael Onkeen. And Michael Onkeen and Kate Jackson were a married couple. Mm-hmm. Helping start a family, hoping to start a family in 1982. And he meets Michael Onkeen. And anyway, they have a gay relationship. This is a 1982. It was wow. a pivotal gay film. Yeah. And I think Roberta Flack sang, sang the theme song. It's called Making Love. I, I, I suggest everyone that listen to Real Housewives make it their, their uh, theme song. Yeah. Because it's an excellent, uh, beautiful ballad. And I remember you, man, making love. I should play it right now. But it's beautiful. And yeah. it was a movie, and it took place on around Santa Monica Boulevard. They shot it around these bars that aren't even there anymore. And it was about one man fighting. He's in the middle of a triangle between a man. He just met this over-sexualized gay man who mm-hmm. doesn't give a fuck about anything but fucking somebody. Mm-hmm. And he falls in love with him, and he's married to the Kate Jackson who wants him. 
and it's 1982. Right. And that's Harry Hamlin. He plays the nasty, basically, street hooker that Mike Onke falls in love with. And uh, it was directed by Arthur Hiller, who also directed Love Story with, with Jerry. How long does it last? Can love be measured by the hours? Oh my day? God. Do you know that? Love no, story? but I love that you just serenaded. Allie me. McGraw and Ryan O'Neill and Love You never saw Love no. Story. When I was a little boy, all the sixth grade girls were carrying around this book. And it was, everyone was reading it called Love Story. And it was only girls read it. Boys would dare read it. Oh my god! But it was a beauty. You never saw the movie. I never, I never you saw it. You have to see that. So Maybe I'll watch it tonight. It's related to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because Arthur Hiller, who directed Harry Hamlin in Love Story, directed this, and you can see the movies are the same. They have the same powerful. I think they have a really powerful soundtrack and the same basic love story vein goes through both of them. Hmm. Now. When Love Story came out, the movie, the book had been a huge success, and they made the movie after the book because they weren't going to capitalize on it because, I mean, it really took off. It's about a young, beautiful girl, Holly McGraw, who's still alive, mm-hmm. who um, falls in love with Ryan O'Neill, who's a young attorney here in Manhattan, and just as things are going great, she finds out she has cancer. No. She, this is where the famous line comes from. Ryan O'Neill says, I'm sorry, and she says, oh, Preppy love means never having to say you're sorry. That's what that's from? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, beautiful movie. So Harry Hamlin is in what I call the homosexual twin, the love story. Oh. And I really I really think that that is a great legacy for Harry Hamlin. Mm-hmm. You know, if he never did anything else, I would say, not because I'm a gay man and I'm like this big thing, because I'm not about mm-hmm. like gay rights and all that. I think we have, we're fine on our rights. We can stop being a subgroup now (laughs) and asking for more and more and more. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to get into my politics. But Harry Hamlin um, left a beautiful legacy. And I think that this is something that's missing a little bit in television is a le- is a legacy mm. uh, or in politics. You know, what, it's not what do you want, what do you get. It's not about what do you get. It's not about what shoes, whether Kyle wears this shoe or carries this bag or this bag and gets a water on it and the plane and that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the just, jets and the diamonds. It's not about that. It's about how she's remembered mm-hmm. by her children, by the people she loved. By the public, to some degree, maybe you know. I mean, I would, I would want how the public viewed me to be at least, um, you know, positive. Right. You know. Yeah. People like her. She's good. I like, I like, I like Kim. I like. I mean, Kyle. I like Kyle very much. She was. Again, I say was because I'm not because she isn't anymore. But I just don't know her anymore. But she, to me, certainly, she she appeared to be a lovely, lovely woman. You know. So you know the other thing is you know. Not really super rich and super into herself. That's the other thing that mm-hmm. that's played up. People don't sit around all day caring what their girlfriend says about her because her she's you know her husband wore a green tie. And right. A, you know. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't. Wealthy people don't do that. They don't have time for it. That's the- that's why I think like this whole thing with Harry and Meghan is absurd because he's the. Oh. He's brought it down to the lowest idea. He's almost like he's a peasant viewing himself from outside. Yeah. He's having an identity crisis, I feel like. Well, he's one after a fella. Yeah. You know. You'd have to be. I I mean, people blame her, but I mean, he's effed up. Yeah. To grow up in something like that must be. I'd grow up in it. I wouldn't have been effed up. (laughs) 
I would have. I never would have. I would have been the happiest <laughs> king in the world. Yeah. 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 I'd actually probably be a good queen, too, because I'm, like, fair. <laughs> good queen, Lauren. People come up to you as to be knighted and hit them gently on the head with a sword. I'd fucking say, what do you, what do, you do to do? I'd say, what do, you do, what do you do to deserve to be knighted, I'd yeah. say. And then they'd tell me, well, I did this and that and the other. And then he'd look him in the eye and say, do you deserve to be knighted? I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, well, then I'll knight you. If you have humility, I'll knight you. If you think you do, get out of yeah, my get out. queen's chamber. Yeah. You're not getting a sword You're not getting anything. Don't ask me for any more stuff. I don't think I'd have knighted El- uh, Elton John either. I just mm. have this thing. Elton John has a friend who was just on The Real Housewives, and he has made a couple cameos via FaceTime. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. What From are they paying him for that? I know, right? He was a trip. I used to see him at the, I used to go to the Tony Awards because I produced a play on Broadway. He had come down in one year. I shouldn't say, make it sound multiple years. He came down the hall, and he had this, you know, this wedge of people in front of him clearing away. Again, you know, I worry about these people. But you know what? Maybe that's all. Maybe that's all there is. And this life is all. And they might as well eat as big a piece and the piece they want if they can. You know? Maybe they don't give a damn. Because they're dead and that's dead and that's the end. I mean, you know. At some point, I think they don't give a damn. Like, there's a bit of narcissism in wanting to, like, be... Famous or wanting to be like a celebrity or all I mean, that. You think? I do. <laughs> There's my it's a lot big of self, drop. But it's a lot of self-management to get to that point. Right. Self-management right. is a very important word and responsibility is a huge word. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I can't speak for anybody but myself. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm super serious. And this ringing you here is my dog. Um, but... Um, Self-management. You've got to what? You've got to be your own. You've got to be your own teacher. You've got to be your own guide. You've got to wake up every morning, be your own cheerleader, mm-hmm. or you know, you'll just uh, wait do what forever. I've been doing all day and drink wine all day long. Hey, when you're living up here, well, I take time off. That's something new. The older I get, I yeah. do. I take time to allow myself to be to be um, relaxed, self-medicated. It's self-care. Yeah, it's self-care. I'm trying to to be kind to myself, to allow myself to do these things. I I haven't run. I used to be a big runner. I haven't run in a year because I did some damage to my eye. And I'm I'm Mm. finding it hard to start again. Yeah. But um, so I just just see these things as uh, uh, these women on these shows to be – lot fortune to be on them because they're being highlighted and what they say people listen to mm-hmm. and but again their actions speak louder than their words and by that i mean their actions off camera speak louder to anything that they do on and i think some of these women are indeed philanthropists and i know i know i know there's been a lash out by feminists saying they set femininity back by, you know, following in the stereotypes that the man rules the house and the woman just looks pretty. But these women aren't like that at all. They are smart. Uh, they're smart to have gotten there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're uh, most of them seem to be pretty, pretty, pretty good to, um, to grow with the words. So my mind, I'm sorry. To uh, 
to take what they're given and involve it further in mm-hmm. their lives financially or by getting their word out, you know, through philanthropy and the organization, the organizations <laughs> that they support. I mean, it's not a Princess Diana way of doing it. You know, she had, yeah. she could do anything and they take a picture. These ladies have to play by the game and the game is, as the producers say, on the Real Housewives and you got to be, you know, edgy and you got to be confrontational. And you yeah, know. you got to work for it. And you can't just wear a red sweater and be photographed. Right, yeah. Yeah, you know, and... You have to have a personality that people follow. It's like a football game, really. It's really it's no different than a sports game, really. They're I totally agree. Yeah. Um, what's the ball they're throwing around, though? Their ball is their sexuality, their money, their their, their money, their like like foul things that they say about each other sometimes. Like, well, there are ways they get to the goal line and the end right. game score. Right. But uh, the ball is probably their cattiness. I, know I think it's maybe also their way like, with a word like Oscar Wilde or something. Who, yeah, they're definitely the Oscar Wilde of our generation. I think these women are. <laughs> you know what? They have all the ingredients to be. They do have. I? Thank you for saying that, Tom. Um, the ingredients are there. I will never say ingredients. Ingredients again. Thank you. Uh, you're very, very Thank you. If, like, you I know. feel the support like beyond you don't have oh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> I so I heard, listened to your show, I did some research, and then I couldn't <laughs> believe that woman said that. She was so mad that but I then said, the fact well, no, I mean that the, she said it on the show. Oh ingredients is yeah. And then I can't believe somebody responded. One of your listeners didn't know what you were referring to. Where was she from that listener? Like who knows? Whew, the garbage? Yeah. Jesus. Oh, like, get alive. I could hear that once and I'd never forget ingredients. Ingredients? That's I'd be like, hilarious. oh my God, Lauren, you have said ingredients. I know exactly what she heard. It's so cool. My Christmas card next year is just going to be that one. Ingredients. And then you'll open it up and it'll be like, how I make a pumpkin pie. Yeah, the ingredients. That's kind of a good idea. Ingredients. Colon, colon. Open up. Two 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 pie, two two cups of pumpkin, half a heavy cream. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I made my first pie this year. I'd never made a pie before. I thought pies came from the grocery store, you know. Yeah. With a baker. The baker. Tate's baker in Southampton. You know Kathleen Tate, the Tate's cookies. That, that I didn't know I that was from. Yeah. He, I go really? to the bakery. It makes me mad though. I go to the bakery. I used to buy the cookies they made there. Now they're just made. I get the they same get them at a factory. The grocery store. Yeah. Oh, they have some factory probably in like you know. I don't even know where. Mexico I, yeah, Mexico or something. Or something. Well, they'll put it in like South San Diego so that kids still well, be made in America. Yeah, exactly. South San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where would chocolate chip cookies ideally be made? If you had to make a chocolate chip cookie, you didn't even know. I think I would make my chocolate chip cookie in Germany. That would be gingerbread for me. Oh, okay. I think if I had to make a really good, it would be right in my hometown. That's a good, that's a good, yeah, that's kind of cute. How about, yeah, Collingswood, New Jersey, home of the chocolate chip cookie company. That's kind of romantic. I know, right? Oh my God. And all kids would come with buses and field trips. And they'd all be kind of warm, all the cookies. They'd drink milk and get cookies. That's so cute. And then Tom, I'd come in because it would be my company. Tom's cookies. Yeah, I would come in and I'd say, Hi, welcome to Collingswood, New Jersey. How many of you have been here? They all waved their hands. I said, oh, not many of you have been here. Well, this is the famous land of what? And they'd all say, the chocolate chip cookies. Are chocolate right. chip cookies. And I'd take them back and they'd smell the chips. <laughs> different chips. It's the sizes of the chips, too. I think you should be able to pick uh, your chip. 
Well, I, I, I go to small to medium, mm. uh, not anything bigger than medium. Mm. I think this over, I, I have a real problem with it. Just like, you know, I have a problem with some of the women on Real, Real Housewives, some of the larger chocolate chips, I really um, have a problem with as it's well. It's too much, yeah. Yeah, they should be taken all out of the popular They need to be put on pause. I think that the chocolate chip that's the big chocolate chip that's a little too takes much Takes up too for much me. room in the cookie. Takes up too much room in the cookie. It sort of like ruins the rest of the experience because all you're thinking about is this chocolate chip is in my teeth. This chocolate chip is on my chin. Well, it's just because, and then you need a cup of coffee. And it's too much. The other thing is, um, so Southampton, the home of the chocolate chip cookie. Yes. And the pumpkin pie, which I don't think she makes a good pumpkin pie because she put, doesn't put enough filling. Well, there you, well then. And too much sugar. So I've learned to make it with less sugar and more filling. And Tom's You can eat it for take. breakfast that way. Oh. It becomes a breakfast food. I think pie should always be a breakfast food. Well, if you cut down the amount of sugar in your pies, yeah. people. You're going to get I mean, yourself you have a breakfast a food. Yeah, it's fruit. Okay, so back to the Real Housewives mm -hmm. because I have things to say. Yes. Um, not many in things. I mean, I have a lot of things to say if you want to ask me. But as you can see, I haven't let you get a question in edgewise. I know. I love your notes. I haven't, I haven't really referred to my notes. <laughs> I made notes to make me read. I did make a note that Kathy Hill's been married 44 years. Her wow. husband's a wonderful man. He was just very successful at realtor. Her husband... Um, they married in 79. They look like they're just the old married couple. Like that they watch TV with their TV trays. Like they seem like wholesome people. Well, but then some all, people, none of us are getting younger. You know, I just, yeah. you know we're all going to be old married couple. Do you really think you can avoid... I mean, Jacqueline Smith, do you know who she was? One of the original Charlie's Angels. Oh. Google her. She's really a boy. She's like 97 years old. She looks like she's 16. Oh my God. Yeah, I really, I want to, I want to get her truant officer, send her to, to, to herself back to, to back to 10th grade. Yeah. I think she's running around. Oh, wow. I just did Google her. She does look like she's 40. Wow. Yeah. I know. She she's looks really great. Amazing. But so, um, but yeah, no, I remember going, I remember doing the white party that night at Kyle's and I will say, um, at one point, everyone's having a fun time and they're all, you know, you're all like having cocktails and then they, they, you know, of course you have to sign a waiver when you go into the sign, but, mm -hmm. but, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Okay. So they just sequestered them away into this room and they set this whole thing up for some fight. I guess mm. there was some iconic white, and that's not a nice thing for me to say. They probably... I should probably spice it up more than that, but it's, it, you know, and then afterwards it was sort of like, they, they all came out of the room very frenetic, you know, they'd all just been hyped up by these producers, and um, that was sort of the end of that, that experience for me. I wanted to be a real housewife. Yeah. I wanted to be the first male real housewife. I had the perfect pedigree. I mean, you're that. literally in the social circle. Like, no, I actually got a big no. Well, that's because they were focusing on women. What I should have been is one of their best friends. You know? Yeah, you would have been a great friend of. I'll still be it if anybody wants. Andy, Andy Cohen, if you're listening. Well, I really enjoyed it. And for me, you know, what I went on to do was... Um, I did develop a, a reality show, mm -hmm. which um, was very interesting. I had a dream one night about a um, 
man who who produces high-end funerals for like movie stars yeah and I, I basically predicated off that because at that time I was I was toying with the idea and helping a friend of mine do uh, funerals mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a death doula mm-hmm. and um, basically a graveside consultant it, mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing anyway to expand that into a show about a guy who actually does celebrity funerals. So this working title was To Die For. And I think if you go to my name, Tom Gregory, and To Die For, you can find like my original five-minute clip I did, um, which it was so interesting. I developed this clip. I know. I wrote this clip in just an hour. And then I hired someone to film it as I envisioned it in my head. And then we took it to... um, friend um actually wasn't a friend it was someone who had said he wanted to develop a show with me and i said well let me work on what i'm actually doing which is funerals and i um put this thing together he saw it he fell in love with these two as his agent and within an hour it was sold to another producer and we developed it and sold it to amc company uh, or got a deal with amc company which never went through I think because of COVID, I don't yeah. know egos. I don't know, but we it filmed, was right we during filmed, COVID. Yeah, we filmed a, a, a pilot, mm-hmm. and but I really am most proud of the five minute reel that I did on, on, on YouTube. It's very funny. I think it's funny. I it's think it's a, so funny about a guy who drinks with his clients as he writes some obits and stuff like that. But in developing a, re, a, re, a, a, a television show, you realize that. There's stuff that they're buying, mm-hmm. and just like you won't buy, you know, purple next year, but you'll buy in three years from now. This year, it's all about yellow. Um, there's shows that they buy, you mm-hmm. know, and they're only looking for purple shows or reality shows. And when I was doing this, it had to be a reality show. I mm-hmm. remember that was made clear to me. And I, I mean, I, I stretched a point really in making the show and writing the show because originally I saw it as a sitcom. Like, right? Do you remember like the Meredith Tyler Moore show? That's yeah. Sort of um, anyway, to make a long story short, it didn't happen, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. You know, my mind slipped into, um, these women on, on again, on this Real Housewives. I, I guess I'm sticking at it because I look at your face and I think Real Housewives. You have like oh Real Housewives written all over your face. Thank you. Maybe you should be a Real Housewives Maybe I girl. should. I want them to the hire me to talk about their, the Real Housewives of St. Paul, Minnesota. Minnesota. You could actually be. You know, Andy Cohen is getting, you know, he's, 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 you know, I'd like to see a, I'd like to see a woman up there going, you know. Yeah. Kind of a smart woman to kind of back these women into shape on the reunion yeah. shows. And hold them thing. accountable and be like, why did Say, you honey, do why'd that? Say, honey, why'd you do that? Do you, do you realize what jeopardy you put yourself yeah. in? Yeah. I mean, did you really, even though the you cameras are glass. rolling, you don't have immunity against rolling something, <laughs> running somebody over with your Bentley. Right. You can't just hit people with your car, Carol. Even though the cameras are on you, and she looked at you and said, really, but the film is better than anybody could. <laughs> but I was just thinking about how they set them up to fight and that sort of thing. And I was thinking about shows, you know, that's, that, you know, that. That is really actually a legacy of all television and films is the cast that don't get along. Yeah. They just exploit it on that show. Mm-hmm. It becomes the topic of that show. And usually in scripted shows, it's, it's what's hidden. happening behind the oh, scenes. Oh, yeah. You don't hear anything about it. Do you know one of the most 
catty women ever on television was, did you ever watch, no, you didn't because you're too young, the old Andy Griffith show, but people will know where they whistled. Mm-hmm. That. And by the way, I do a great video about the opening of the Andy Griffith show. Again, Tom Gregory on YouTube. If you, if you do Tom Gregory, Andy Griffith, you'll see I go back to the original location where they wow. shot the opening of that show, which is iconic. Oh, my God. It's pretty weird. It's all overgrown now. But anyway, it's still it's still worthy of a watch. But anyway, on that show, uh, Andy Griffith played Sheriff Taylor. Uh, he lived with Aunt B with uh, Ron Howard, you know, the now famous person, director. Um, he didn't get, Andy Griffith did not get along with Anthony, or Andy B did not get along with him. And even on, even when she was dying, she called him to apologize for the bitch she had been. Wow. Yeah, I know. On the deathbed, huh? Mm-hmm. But like, B, B. Arthur didn't get along with Betty White either. That's upsetting to hear. But you know that's true. Right? I didn't know that was true until yeah. you just told me that. And, 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 and B allegedly called Betty a effing C. <gasps> Shut More than once. Now, allegedly, but oh it's, my been, God. it's on the internet. You can find this. B, B, though, is kind of a bad B. Like, she's kind of rough. Well, B, B was great. I mean, B. Arthur was a wonderful, not B. What was her, what was her, no, Dorothy was her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But B. Arthur, B. Arthur was great. If you watch, yeah. if you watch her in, uh, well, anything she does. I'm thinking of her in um, Maine with Lucille Ball. But yeah, she's a wonderful actress. Yeah, but she didn't like Betty White. But... I had a dear friend whose name was Shirley Livingston, who's now passed away. Mm-hmm. And Shirley's claim to fame was she was the last adult member of, um, I don't want to say the cast, but that's how they said it, because cast is misleading, mm-hmm. of I Love Lucy. But she played, she was she had an um, on, ongoing role on I Love wow. Lucy. She was the last adult to die, the only person that's really left. Well, there's, Barbara Eden was one of the shows, but the only person that's really left is... Uh, the kid who played Little Ricky, Keith Tribodeau or something, but he's he's still alive. But Shirley was my friend, and, and Shirley had nothing nice to say about Betty Davis. She'd been in a lot of early TV. She'd hmm. been on uh, the first television broadcast ever. Wow. Shirley was famous because she was on um, the Jack Benny radio program, which radio led to television. Like, I Love Lucy was a thrill from my favorite husband, mm. you know, which was in a radio show. Anyway... Shirley had nothing nice to say about Betty White either. So I think Betty White was a bit more challenging than, than, than we people. Think. You know, a lot of yeah. especially gay people really idealize her, and that's fine. You can idealize people. She's a lovely person. She didn't kill anybody. So that we know, but of. she wasn't. We know of. Yeah. You know, I don't think she was. A, you know, she was. She was little Bo Peep. But um, but uh, yeah, Aunt B and Andy Griffith did not get together to get along. Aunt uh, B Arthur and Betty White did not get along. And, you know, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy on Star Trek didn't get along either. Wow. I know. I always find it interesting when the men don't get along, more so when the women yeah, don't get along. It's hard to imagine men being catty, especially yeah. in space. In, right, especially in space. Especially in the UFO or whatever they're in. Are they in a UFO or like a space well, station? Well, it's like Jupiter 2. Jupiter 2. Yeah, I love that. I, well, no, no, I'm sorry. That's Lost in Space. Oh, they're in the Enterprise. Jesus, oh, the I Enterprise. Just, I just crossed over. <laughs> so. But I remember Lost in Space. Now, that's another show. That That is another show for another time. You have, like, such an amazing history in this television. Like, I don't know very many people that can talk about, like, 
Fred Astaire and Lisa Rinna in the same conversation. Well, no, Fred, Fred, maybe Fred. I'm going to spring word off you, Fred. Okay. You, Fred is Fred, is Fred, uh, Fred and Fred and Ethel. They didn't get along either. Really? No, not at all. Not, not at all. Famously did not get along. Oh my God. But, and my Fred Astaire story is I just moved to LA. I, I, I moved out in a 1971 Chevrolet Impala convertible black with a white top. And I probably only lived there a year and a half. It was the best time of my life. Wonderful time. And I'm driving around Beverly Hills. I'm on Sunset Boulevard. This is absolutely true. I'm in the Beverly Hills Hotel. And this guy steps out into the crosswalk in front of me. And I mean, it's my, it's my light. I have to stop. You know, it's I have a red light anyway. But you know how sometimes you approach it maybe a little too fast. Yeah. But this guy had stepped out in front of me. Anyway, so I stopped. I slammed on the brake, but not really. But, yeah. You know, a little abrupt. Yeah. And he looked at me like, oh, I'm glad you stopped. And yeah. I looked at him, I looked at him, he looked at me, and I said, oh, my God, that's Fred Astaire. Can you imagine, so Tom, if you hit him with a car? I turned, I know, right? So I came back around. Anyway, I set myself up in a position where I knew where he was going, and then I'm headed toward him. Oh. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I went around the block. Now I know that Fred, I'm going to pass Fred Astaire. He's right. going to be on the sidewalk, and I'm going to be able to pull up right next to him. So, and he recognized me. It wasn't. You know, I'd almost just hit the poor, poor right. fellow. And he recognized me, and I said, and I just saluted him like a Navy, a Navy, Navy man, like a sailor, you know, with the index finger to my eyebrow. And I said, you're Fred Astaire. He said, yes. And I said, I'm sorry I almost hit you. And he said, your name is? And I said, Tom Gregory. And he said, nice meeting you. And he came over to my door, and he shook my hand. Jeez. I mean, you almost killed the man, and he went to shake oh, your he, hand? He didn't care. You know, he, he was uh, Fred Astaire. He was a star. He didn't need to do anything. He didn't need to argue with Lisa Red on television. He was already a star. Right. You know? That's the other thing. I mean, these people have to know when to stop. And I, maybe that's why Lisa Red is bailed out, because she's, she's, she's made a fool of herself. I don't know. Dude. Is that what happens? They destroy themselves, and they have to leave? It seems almost like that's how it's happening lately. Like, before, it would be like, oh, she was boring, so we don't want her back on the show. But now it's like you've created such a conundrum, and you've, like, really blown things up out of control so much. Like, you can't even come back. Maybe it's because... We keep lifting the bar, lowering the bar further and further, mm-hmm. and they have to misbehave or be more. And the fortunate ones are the ones who can be like, you know, a cornerstone and mm-hmm. hold on, like Kyle and Granola right. and show together. Meanwhile, everyone else just implodes. That's exactly why I was talking to someone who asked me why I, because Kyle is one of my favorite housewives, and the guy couldn't understand why. And it's like what you just said, I think, perfect perfectly puts it into perspective. You need a cornerstone. You need an every guy. You need an every girl in this group to balance out the crazies like yeah, Lisa Rinna. It would be, be, be a nuclear war. It would be complete mayhem. Yeah, you wouldn't even know where the bombs are coming from. Yeah. Yeah, you need a foot on the floor. Yeah. Um, and then and then you just pick out. I mean, it's, it's, it's casting. It's the it's way casting. they cast it. So probably they didn't cast me because I, I you know, they, if they did cast the first gay man, he's probably going to be pretty flamboyant, pretty out there. Not that, I mean, I believe me, I can. I've been pretty quiet this interview. But. You're so quiet. I wish you would speak more, Tom. Right. 
I don't know what else to talk about. I could talk about his apartment, but that's kind of boring. Well, I did um, want to know more about, like, because you... you I, will, I will tell you one thing. Can tell I tell me, you one thing? Please. You see that painting? There's a painting above my fireplace of two men. Mm-hmm. And the one on the right is walking towards us. They, they're in a hallway. Mm-hmm. And one man, he looks, he looks Chinese, and he's walking towards us. I mean, mm-hmm. no mistake, he's from China. Mm-hmm. And then the man to the back looks like Khrushchev. Um, mm-hmm. Walking away, Russian, clearly Russian. You can just tell from the back. It's done by an artist named Edward Bieberman, and it's called Worried Men. Mm. And it was sold to me by a dear friend of mine whose name is Suzanne. And Suzanne is an art dealer. She's been an art dealer her whole life, uh, her whole adult life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just turned 93, and wow. I just came to LA and I took her out to, to lunch. Um, and I've known Suzanne for a good 20, 22 years. And I met her through Marriott Hartley, I believe. No, I met her through, I can't say if I met her through. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can. I was Gary Cooper's daughter. I met oh. her through Gary Cooper's daughter because oh, I lived in Gary Cooper's house, the last house he lived in for many, many years. And the daughter wanted to come back to the house. And oh, there's lovely stories about that. Mm. Well, for multiple reasons, you know. Yeah, where she didn't grow up there, but when her husband's got her husband got back together, he Gary Cooper, beautiful classic film star, had had an affair with um, I can't remember her name. Everybody remembers it though. I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. Uh, had an affair with her, and uh, and that broke off, and he moved back in with Maria and and, and Maria's mother, who was very Catholic. I think she guilted them into it. Mm. And uh, I lived in that house. It was called the Reconciliation House. Hmm. Beautiful house. And anyway, so this woman who sold me this painting of the worried men was a friend of Mary Cooper's, and I met her. Well, as soon as I met her, this woman, she was intriguing. She had a heavy accent. It was from Hungary, I later found out. And we became friends. And through the years, um, she's elaborated more about something I knew I had been told about her. Um, to me, and that was that she she was in Auschwitz during the war, war, Second World War. She My was, God. and uh, she was famously uh, imprisoned in Auschwitz, and uh, they uh, culminated in the day they were freed by the Allies. She was in a pile of dead people, and a 16-year-old Danish prisoner a prisoner heard her uh, uh, moan threw her over his shoulder and anyway they took her back to Denmark where they triaged her for a couple of years wow. and then um, she came back to Hungary and she met her husband and they moved to LA and that's where I met her but to further back into Auschwitz she's told me a lot of stories and her stories are public mm-hmm. um, but when she tells them to you firsthand it's kind of jarring and I remember she could never have children because Mengele operated on her and mm. she, she uh she told me one day she asked one of the SS guys after she'd been there like a week what happened to my brother and he said oh there he goes and he points to the smoke coming out of the crematorium. <sighs> the last time I was with her she said which was just a couple weeks ago um, the last time I was with her which was a couple weeks ago she said to me and I love her very much I'm crying not for her sorrow she suffered but rather that she had to suffer through it. Mm-hmm. She said to me, she said, you know, she said, I was thinking the other day, 
Did I hope when my brother was taken into the gas chamber, he was eight years old, oh. my grandfather went in with him and they didn't send him in there by himself because he never would have understood why him and what was happening. Oh. You know, and you just hear this. Yeah. And you're... Uh, Overcome. Yeah, it's just so unfair the way we treat each other, you know? And I look at, I mean, I don't bring the real housewives in the Holocaust, but, you know, I hope there's joy there. I hope they're having a good time. And I hope that um, people who watch this don't view it as negative or view it as purely a way that these people are taking them um, from uh, their beds or their sofas or wherever they're watching the Real Housewives franchise from and maybe give them a big hug, even if it involves a lot of screaming between friends. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Because we, we need to live in a benevolent world. We but, do. Um, yeah, Suzanne has enriched my life immensely. and um, But it's not because of her suffering. It's the way she survived it. Mm -hmm. So the painting, I bought it from her. She represents that artist's estate. And she told me that when they were in Auschwitz, the first thing you think about when you're starving to death is bread. Mm. And then you, your stomach starts to hurt. And there was a woman who, this is like 1943, mm -hmm. who lived in the camp with them. And the girls were all starving to death. And she would tell them stories, not about movies or records, because it was, you know, hungry in the 40s. She probably didn't have any, any aspect of a lot of the arts outside of Budapest. But she would tell them about paintings and mm. stories behind paintings to keep their mind out of out of their sorrow. The hell, yeah. So um, when Suzanne, uh, once she got out of Auschwitz, she became an art dealer, which I find just artistically beautiful. Yeah. So uh, and she's got great taste, and I'm really happy to have that painting. Mm -hmm. And I've got one, two, four others, four others of from her. Yeah, uh, of the artist. Actually, the artist's name is Edward Bieberman. He's in all the great collections. He's undervalued. He's incredible. I used to run an art gallery, too, in Beverly Hills, but that's a different story. I owned an art gallery. I didn't run it. That's that was interesting. The art world is an interesting story, too. That's Real Housewives at Beverly Hills. That's Real Housewives yeah. at Beverly Hills on, story, mm -hmm. on steroids. A story about art and, and what manipulates art and value of art is really interesting mm -hmm. because it's not the talent that makes the artist. It's nothing. Do you know what it is? It's the collectors who buy your stuff. If the right yeah. collectors buy your stuff, everybody would buy it. Yeah. If Madonna bought something in the 90s and the 2000s and Brad Pitt bought it. I mean, all these. You could go to it, but the main people are people you don't even know. It's right. not Brad Pitt. It's not Kyle Richards by your painting. It's if Eli Broad bought it. If, if any number of high-end super collectors then right. it just went way up. Yeah. You know, it's not really about the painting. It's about the story behind the painting. It is about the story behind the painting and like the emotion it evokes and the memories that you can tie to it. Like, I have a painting as you walk in my door. It's to mm -hmm. your left. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it, it just looks like, a, it looks like a parade on Fifth Avenue, which is exactly what it is. I moved in here. I don't know. I mean, I moved in here October of twelve. And like a year later, I was in an auction site. I don't look at auction sites for art, but I was in this auction site for art. And I ran across this guy. His name was Lawrence A. Campbell, this artist. And I thought, my God, Lawrence A. Campbell, isn't that the father 
of my best friend in elementary school who was a painter. And I did a little research. I said, shit, yeah, that guy, oh he made God. it because it was expensive. Yeah. It was relatively expensive. So my friend's dad, who my friend always used to brag about his dad was a great painter, was really was a great painter, and he was really making it into the wow. American art well, American art world. I mean, his work is great. And it's, it's, it's getting prices. You know, it's a great investment. I didn't know that, though. I looked up. I, I don't know how I found this painting. Maybe I looked up my friend from elementary school's name and I found his dad. And anyway, there was this painting. It was up for auction. Mm -hmm. It's the one I own now. And I looked at it really close. Now, I didn't know anything about his dad for the last, you know, 50 years. Yeah. So, I no, at that time, 45 years, mm -hmm. maybe, you know. I looked at the painting, I said, wait a minute, that is the painting of my street corner up here. Oh my God. Looking up Fifth Avenue. And it's done by my best friend in elementary schools. Dad. Dad. That's crazy. And I bid on it, and I bought it, and I got it, and I looked at it, and I said, absolutely, because that's the building on the corner. Yeah, this is the there's no mistaking that that's the corner. And that's the kid I went to elementary school with, Dad. So I called him, and I said, you're not going to. Yeah. I just bought a painting of your dad. It's called Parade, like Parade on Fifth Avenue or something. I said, and I live right there. Like, that's, that's my, my corner. Building, yeah. Basically. Wow. Yeah. That's and incredible. So, so it's things like that that embrace me mm -hmm. when I'm feeling like I need company and want to watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I just think, oh, God, I'm not, I'm not alone. Can I handle these women too? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> You are such a collector, though, Tom. Like, you have so many cool, like, we're, I'm looking at an Oscar and an Emmy. Yeah, Oscar and an Emmy. Yeah, Oscar and Emmy and a Golden Globe, which is really the prize. All right. You almost have an EGOT. Yeah. What's the, <laughs> oh, I don't want a Gucci. <laughs> you don't want a Grammy? <laughs> no, I don't want one of those. I don't want to. I, I, I went through a period of my life where I thought I needed to be able to touch those things. Yeah. You know? So I did. I bought a couple Oscars in my life, four, and then I sold them all, but I'm trying to think of two, 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 two. I actually bought five. I, I, I have two in, in a different form, but that is best documentary, 1947, for a movie called Design for Death about the Japanese internment camp. Oh my God. The deal is with the Oscars is you can't buy them unless they were won before 1950. Oh. And the person who won them couldn't have been had any other business with the Academy after 1950. Hmm. So, like, Cooper won one before 50, but they gave him an honorary in 61 right before he passed away, so he couldn't sell either of them. Oh, my God. Betty Davis won two before 1950 and never got another one, so she could sell both. And she left them to her assistant who sold them, and that was her, 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 her intention. Mm -hmm. You know, that went in her will to leave it to her assistant to sell them. Anyway, um, so that one could be sold. There's only like 109 that are available to be sold in the world. But that that Golden Globe that you see, yes. is the Cecil B. DeMille which, Award, which is basically for your achievement of work, your body of work, and that was given to Joan Crawford in 1970. Oh wow. Yeah, and I love Crawford. I mean, yeah, you have a beautiful Joan Crawford book right next to it. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, everything, my whole life is Joan if, if I, she's my real house. That's the real house. Life. She's my real house. She wrote a book called My Way of Life. It's very funny, where she talks about how to do everything, um, 
quote, properly. Anymore, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. not have a party like she talks about. If you're going to have a big party, walk the party before anybody comes and say hello to ma- imaginary people and flitter around the imaginary <laughs> room, imagine, around the real room, imagining people in it. You know, Joan Crawford really was, was, was practiced at everything that she did. She, she really lived life deliberately. Yeah. And I find that a good way to get the most out of living is to live it with purpose and to live it deliberately and to really plan it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise yeah. you find yourself in wonderful situations with, you know, without a camera. You know, right. Like, um, and I, I use the term camera loosely. So um, I love Crawford, but yeah, that's a Golden Globe from, uh, from her body of work. And I really, I really treasure that. Um, you know, just, you know what though? Both those awards, the Academy Award and the Golden Globe. The Golden Globe is made of something called pot metal. It's like the cheapest metal you can make anything out of. It's great. And, That's and, crazy. and the, the Academy Award, you can't polish it or the gold comes right off. Are you kidding? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, you can, but don't but polish like, don't, it. Like, don't polish it every month. Right. Like, just you, don't it, touch it once you get it shiny. Don't, exactly. Yeah. Don't, I tell people, don't touch it. If yeah. I pick it up, I pick it up with a towel. Because you yeah. don't want to have to polish it. No, it's, it'll ruin. You won't. And that's the thing. A lot of people in the old days would win them, and the gold would go away. They take them, they replayed it, and then say they won it in 1943. Yeah. Now, by it's 1953, and it's lost its luster. You see, you take it, you call the academy, and they say, "Well, we'll replay it for you." And you know what? They replay it. You send it back. Now you can't sell it, can you? Because mm-hmm. you have a contact with the academy. So if so, what's the other option? They can have it. Like they'll buy they'll it. They'll buy it for a dollar. A dollar. Yeah, they have first right to refuse it for a dollar. Maybe it's 10 now. I'm not going to swear, but yeah. That's still ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, I think. Yeah. So people have been buying them. Spielberg bought a lot of them at private auction for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And mm. He donates them. Oh. You know, like I know Michael Jackson. I knew I knew him. Uh, I can't say I knew Michael well, but well enough for him to give me a big hug. Yeah. I knew Elizabeth well. Yeah. Um, and that's how I, I met him. Michael through Elizabeth mm-hmm. and um, I was instrumental maybe uh, to some degree in where he lived when he passed away because mm-hmm. it was right down the street from where I was living right and it was for rent and if you google my name and Michael Jackson on a YouTube thing you'll see something I did about it because he moved in on December the 5th of 2008 and there was Christmas wreaths on this gate Oh. And uh, when he died in June 25th of the same of 2009, there were still Christmas trees on this front gate huh. because he left them up there. Because by the end of January, he hadn't taken down his Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. So I made this hokey video. I made it look like it was real, where I rang his doorbell and stuff. But it was really my doorbell. <laughs> and I had an actor ringing these lines. I gave him a dialogue. It was very funny. And we did it twice, okay? We did it like the end of January and the end of February. Mm-hmm. And then one morning at like 1.30 in the morning, I get a phone call on my phone. And it's like, hey, man, you're crazy. You're crazy, man. <laughs> and I hear myself talking on the video. So I thought, he's watching my video oh, of him my. not taking down this Christmas decoration. You crazy man! You crazy! <laughs> I said, "You like that, huh?" He said, "Yeah, man. You crazy man! You crazy. Oh my god! That's great, man. That's great. You gotta come back. You got it again." Oh my god! And I said, "I'll tell you what, because I made two, right? 
So I and I'm and I was working on a third. I think I, I think there are three on YouTube. Anyway, he and I discussed. You got to come back, man. You got to come back. So how about if I come back on the Fourth of July? Will you come out? Yeah. Leave until the Fourth of July. I told him. Yeah. Leave until the Fourth of July. You come out. I said bring a reindeer. I said I can't bring a reindeer. Bring a re Bring a reindeer. Right. So how about I bring a Santa Claus? Yeah, man. Bring Santa Claus. That'd be great. I'll bring Santa. Yeah, I'll come out. So you will if I come out. I said sometime prior to the 4th of July, and I knew how to contact him. Right. I said, I'll let you know, and you'll come out, right? And he's like, yeah, man, I'll come out, I'll come out. And damn it, the 25th of July, he died. Oh and if you God. see uh, the video uh, a tourist took of the gates opening up, you see these big leaves on them. They're, and I, I think I called the article Michael Jackson's Last Laugh. Yeah. Because it was sort of his chuckle, chuckle. My Christmas decorations are up. Wow. Because, and I had this whole shtick made up. It was all made up about he wouldn't take them down because blanket, quote, really liked Christmas. <laughs> blanket. Was I'm not taking them down because blanket. It was a security guard. <laughs> yeah, my friend was a played a security guard. So we're not taking those down because blanket really likes Christmas. <laughs> I'm like, but it's February. <laughs> They're like, Mr. Gregory, I told you. <laughs> but I represent the Neighborhood Improvement Society, Carol Neighborhood Improvement Society. You can't keep them up. <laughs> Take the decorations down, my They're not coming down. <laughs> very, it was very funny. That's so funny. But, you know, a, you know, a hugely talented man. And mm -hmm. uh, it's all, 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 all we can say about him. But... Because that's what he was. He was right. different and wacky. Right. You know. And I'm not going to intellectualize or try to ascertain what he did or what he didn't do in my opinion of it. But you can't deny that he was a majorly talented man. Right. You know, it's, it's a shame that he did so tarnish his own legacy with just stupidity. Yeah, you know? I agree. I mean, he could have called me. I'd have gone out on a date with Michael Jackson the day of the week. Right. I mean, yeah, he had, like, he had I your number. Like a little boy shaved my whole body, Hi, run around. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> I cut myself off of the knees. <laughs> Daddy, play horse human. Daddy, <laughs> oh my god. Sure. Why not? As long as I get to be photographed. Yolo. You, as long as best friend. Right. And you sign all my albums. Exactly. I'll do whatever you want. Why not? It's Michael Jackson. Who's best friends with Kathy Hilton was. They were apparently best friends. That's what she says on the show. That she was I think he knew a lot of people. I think he, oh, yeah. I think he knew kindness. He he see I mean, you can't be Michael Jackson and She must have known Elizabeth though. I'm sure she I'm was sure she did. Elizabeth too. Everybody knew Elizabeth. Elizabeth Taylor was a um, child star. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. who got trapped in an adult's body, and they still expect her to look like like Brooke Shields did when she was twelve. I don't know if you, mm -hmm. Brooke Shields was gorgeous when she was twelve. I mean, right. she's still very attractive. And right. There's nothing wrong with Brooke Shields, but Elizabeth Taylor got a little plump, and you know, we grow up and we look different. Right. We don't look like we did. Our proportions are different than that of that of a child. And Elizabeth Taylor used to say that she was competing against herself as a child all mm. the time. God, that's crazy. Yeah, she just grew up mm -hmm. competing against past you. Yeah, competing That's against yourself. That's crazy. Well, yeah. Don't you think we all do that? I kind of do. Like now that well, you start see looking that, at yourself, pictures of yourself when you were younger. You'd yeah. Be like, oh, shit, I can even do that hair again. And yeah. sometimes you're just even like, who was? Who's this person in this photo? 
Like sometimes I look at photos of myself and I'm like, I don't know that girl. Like I feel like I've become a whole different person since like some points in time. Yeah, you, know? you just segued into something you didn't even know you segued oh, into. There you go. The art of an interview, baby. You said said, I don't know that girl. Yeah. Well, that girl is the show I've been watching lately from the 60s. Have you ever seen it? Would you believe that we have a channel that's just that girl and I've been watching it? Oh, God. That's like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. It is like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I She's mean, like... Yeah, the clothes are amazing, amazing. in that show. Marlo, Tom, and oh the themes God. of diamonds, daisies, moonbeams, that girl, chestnuts, rainbows, daydreams, all that... Girl, she's mine alone, but luckily for you, if you have one girl to love, only one girl to love, then she'll be that girl too. That girl! <laughs> I love that show. It's so He's so cute. handsome. Oh, he's so handsome. Oh, the hand, the husband. God. Is that, where's that set? Is that in New York? Yes. Yeah, okay. That's why one reason why I watched that show. Yeah. And lately New York's getting a bad hype, of course, because things are effed up with the things politics really up. and stuff. It's, it's bad. We're not going living through good times right now, but no. that's another day. Yeah. But anyway, but I watched that girl and I'm so happy I live in New York. I know. That show does make it like, and even like that show, this apartment, is this vibe of like that art deco-y, glammy vibe that is just like so quintessential New York. And she's got these bright eyes. Yeah. And perky and she's just and she sees has the like, whole world ahead of her. She's just, yeah. You can't Cute help but succeed, succeed, I mean, succeed, succeed, succeed. Please, please. Yeah. Love that show. Yeah, it's a good show. But I'm looking for Donald Hollinger. The problem is I've been too much of a pig along the way. Donald <laughs> Hollinger wouldn't want me anymore. <laughs> You never know. <laughs> he well, he wouldn't be Donald Hollinger. Probably Donald Hollinger Eidman would just be some piece of trash. <laughs> I mean, back then, you know, they didn't have sex. I mean, they lose yeah. in that. It's so funny. They go away multiple times during the run of this the show, and I mean, you know, they get separate rooms. Right. It's kind of like I Love Lucy, how they slept in separate beds, right. and then all of a sudden she was pregnant, and like. Maybe their beds got closer, but I don't think it ever became one bed. Well, that was the code, you know. They yeah. had to, they had to keep one foot on the floor. Yeah. Which reminds me, did you ever see? You know, what's a lovely thing. If any of your listeners have ever heard, it, I'm sure they'll concur. Uh, the 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 well, I say one foot on the floor. It's a line from Sunset Boulevard with Glenn Close. It was a Broadway play out here in the a musical in the '90s, and then they. And then they reprised it about six years ago. The stupid thing with Glenn Close, I never went to get a ticket to. It was the greatest thing I ever saw. There's a collection of songs in it. It's about old Hollywood. And she said something about something about the way it was then. And you had to keep one foot on the floor. You know, you couldn't be in bed with a man unless you had one foot on the right. floor. And uh, that's the way it was, of course. You know, but the, the, the musical Sunset Boulevard with Glenn Close was the greatest thing I've ever seen. I would love Greatest to see Except for maybe Michael Jackson and Billie Jean, you know. Oh. But I was actually live in front of Glenn Close. Not, I wasn't there for the Michael Jackson and Billie Jean uh, for the uh, 25th anniversary of Motown, which was incredible. Life-changing night, you know. Um, but yeah, I love living in New York, and I live very close to the Ed Sullivan Theater where the, where the Beatles, Beatles uh, uh, debut, didn't debut, but really sparked, you know, everything. It's a, a Sullivan show. 
And about five doors down from me, that way towards Sixth Avenue, guess who lives there? Who? The biggest star in the world. That's what I always tell people to see if they guess. I'm going to guess Taylor Swift, and I know it's not correct. Not. She's not the biggest. I don't think she's the biggest star in the world. I just gave you a big hint last sentence, but talked about it. Oh, my God. Paul McCartney lives. Really? Yeah, I see him all the time. Oh, my God. All the time. Tom. It was so funny because one day, yeah, he's right there. I don't give the number or anything. But um, one day, um, I was two blocks away on the corner of Broadway and 7th. Mm -hmm. Is that right? No, not 7th. I'm sorry. It was like Broadway and 54th Street. I lived on. So Broadway and 54th Street. I'm standing there on the corner. And he's standing right in front of me among all this crowd of people waiting to cross. And they're all looking at buildings and the M&M store right. down there. And totally unaware. That a Beatles right there. Paul McCartney's standing right in the middle of all of them. And I look at this one guy and he looks at me and I'm like doing this thing with my eyes. Like, look, 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 And he's like, oh, you know, looking at yeah. the, you know, the Christmas all year store or something, you know, windows. Right. Like we haven't seen an ornament. Totally missed it. He totally missed that coolest moment. I, cause I, That's a New York first moment. First time I ever saw him, I almost dropped dead. Oh. You know? I mean, iconic. Well, I mean, how much bigger do you get? I mean, changed everything. I just met not many people. The only one I'd really walk across the street to see would be Madonna. Now, if Madonna was a real housewife, now that would be that would get me really tuned in. Do you think they'd ever put her on? Would oh, she ever go? Would. would she ever go, you think? Uh... Uh, probably not. Yeah. She doesn't need the money. Not that they do it for the money, but she doesn't need the fame. And it would only, it would only, um, diminish her. I think no offense to the real housewives, because she's not that. She's, yeah. You know what I mean? She's, she's, she should be more enigmatic, like Jackie O or something. Yeah. I've always thought if I knew Madonna, I would tell her to pick up, because she lived right down the street from me. I used to see her walking the dog, which oh. was really weird. And yeah. I'd walk behind her house in the alleyway. And one day, her, she popped up, her head popped out of this office over her garage. She said, oh, it's only you. Oh. Like that. <laughs> she must have been seeing me a lot or so. I don't know. She probably thought I was like, the dog stopped to pee or something. Yeah. I was like going to jump over her fence. Oh. oh, it's only you. Oh, God, Madonna. And I waited on her years ago in, in when she was with Sean Penn at a restaurant I worked at in L.A., and I don't have anything bad to say about most people. I certainly don't have anything bad to say about her. But I'd love, I'd love to, I'd love to meet her. I just think she's iconic to me. She was um, instrumental in uh, in my life and in a lot of the energy that carried me through my life because mm -hmm. music carries you through your life and inspires you. And I, I just absolutely love, I love, I love Madonna, and she's. Uh, She's, she's still enigmatic, but she sort of hides. So what I would tell her to do is pick up one of her folk guitars and start singing her, her ballads, you mm -hmm. know, do a live show in small theaters. She could do bigger theaters, but I think right. it would be cuter if she did small little venues and bars really around New York, just like she started her career. Yeah. Just doing a, a folk guitar, singing Live to Tell. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that'd be rain cool. on a folk guitar, because I know she... She was playing folk guitar, and I'm sure she, she can, I mean, I'm sure she's prolific, prolific at it, yeah. even if she didn't play it. I mean, she know. is Madonna. She didn't have to play the guitar. She can sing accompaniment. Right. Just a simple folk guitar. Yeah. So Madonna, if you're listening, grab yourself a folk guitar and grab start one. singing Rain. 
And call my us. Babe, call us. Call yeah. Me. Let's go to dinner. Let's she, go to dinner. She uh, is, is uh, I love Rain. Rain mm-hmm. is just, I just love, love her stuff. But so many people I know that loved her stuff when her stuff was, was uh, alive and well and beautiful are all dead now because we were all dying. She sang so many people. She sang at so many people's memorial. Mm. You know, unaware of it, of course. Right. You know, her music was that. Right. Because everyone's dying of AIDS. And that's the whole thing about COVID that made me mad. I ignored COVID because I, I'd lived through AIDS. Right. You know, and then, fuck it. You know, yeah. Uh, COVID's not going to kill me. That like that, me. nothing, I don't think would be more terrifying than it that. It was. It was terrifying. Yeah. And this wasn't I mean, anything for me. Uh, yeah. Really terrifying. I was already hardened to yeah. the terror of the germ. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so that's all. Did we hit on everything we wanted to? I think so. I mean, We've been talking quite a while. I know. How long have we been talking? An hour, an hour and a half. An hour and a half. I said about a half hour. We, I said half hour to an hour. We we keep going. Are you, what do you do with it? So should we end it somehow? Should we wrap it? So thank you so, so, so much. I appreciate all of the time and every story that you've shared. Do you have a housewife's tagline that you would that you would offer if you got to hold a diamond in the show? Tagline? You mean like one of those things that distill it down to what it is? Yeah, distill like the epitome of you. Like who are you? I'm a human being and I was born with a soul on this planet. That's Tom Gregory, a human being. I love it, Tom. I try to be human. As much as I try to um, put up smoke and mirrors against people peering in or or myself facing the dirty truth, I try to be a good human being. And that's the best I can be. Yeah. Try to be happy, have fun. Yeah. You know, but the real housewives, I mean, I think these ladies are having fun. And uh, certainly in my world, I've been around their world, and I think they're probably women yeah they seem like they're happy women yeah maybe someday they'll make a really honest one where they don't wear any makeup or something and come yeah out. right you know I mean? one's good one's one's you know one's one's got kind of uh, cellulite or something yeah yeah the one's just constipated yeah you know? someone's I mean, got ibs but she's not gonna like call it the guy to give her the enema she's gonna right to push it out herself, herself. Dude, really and we'll be on the other side of the door for that one you, no one knew you will. <laughs> yeah. And you will be talking about the real legal ramifications yeah. of the toilet clogs. So. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, well, thank well, you so much, Tom. Quickly. Thank you so very much. Thank you. You have a good day. You be careful out there. You, it's yeah, it's a jungle out there. Allegedly Bravo podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by Lauren Peavy House. Allegedly Bravo is available anywhere you listen to podcasts and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. 
Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps me out. This podcast is made available by the lawyer or legal expert for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there's no attorney-client relationship between you and the podcast publisher. Allegedly Bravo podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. Got it?